Objects, said philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, should not touch because they are not alive. You use them, put them back in place, you live among them, they are useful, nothing more. But they touch me, it's unbearable. I'm afraid of being in contact with them as though they were living beasts. After using my mum's old Tupperware containers as grief therapy after she passed away a few years ago, I became fascinated at how and why such a simple piece of plastic could hold so much emotion for me. How could these objects touch me so deeply? So I became overtaken with wonder at how my use of objects owned, used and cherished by her could be so powerful and therapeutic. Why do we invest so much in things? How could a basic, empty plastic container, a mere tool, make us so happy? And surely, in a world crowded with waste, disposability, materialism and hyper-consumerism, investing meaning in objects, in stuff, is part of the problem. And Tupperware, I mean, it's just an empty plastic container bound for landfill, right? Or is it a container of fascinating intergenerational stories? Well, I'm on the road to discovering the answers to these questions, plus a whole world of stories about us. Women, men, people, children, community, food, family, friendship, empowerment, and more. So Sartre, it seems, was onto something. Objects just aren't objects. My name is Megan Spencer, and this is Auspicious Plastic, a podcast. It's the sound to beat all sounds, don't you think? The pouring of the tea. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Tea is an important ritual for me. Michael Parachi is originally from the States and now lives in Berlin. We're sitting around his kitchen table where he's made me the most beautiful cup of tea. We first met at Creative Mornings Berlin, where he gave a great talk about tools. Uh, my name is Michael Piracci. I come from San Jose, California. In my work life, I do project management with software developers and designers. And in my personal life, I drink a lot of tea and take care of my houseplants. And make really good marmalade. <laughs> Thank you, yes. <laughs> uh, after a visit, visiting my family in California, I have come back now with a few jars of our uh, homemade marmalade from oranges from our orange tree. In, in the our, backyard, in yeah? In our backyard, exactly. Yeah. Now, I'm here today because I saw you give what I found to be a very moving and quite inspiring talk about tools. And, you know, this is a podcast about things, about objects, and objects that give us meaning somehow or bring joy to our lives. And your talk really actually did cover that quite a bit. Um, uh, also, the functionality, why we use things. And you have an array of things that we're going to look at today that um, you've selected as, I guess, some of your most meaningful objects. So would you like to take us on a a little bit of a tour? Sure. The first item is a pair of left-handed scissors that I've had uh, since my college years, probably in in early 2000. They're an everyday scissor, but they're steel and rather heavy and rather strong, and they're designed uh, for the left hand. Growing up, my dad has always had a very nice pair of left-handed scissors, and it made cutting anything <laughs> quite easy. So you're both obviously left-handers, yeah. Correct, yeah. yeah. And um, I was, I'm always very happy to, to have these in my possession and have them nearby and share them with friends who happen to be left-handed also. A pair of left-handed scissors has the blades reversed, and the form of the top handle is, is designed for your left hand instead of your right hand. 
Um, when you use scissors, your hands are exerting force on both both arms, but when you switch from right to left, then the then the force exerted is switched, and so the blades have to be switched as well. So what have you what have what have you used these scissors for? I typically use them for arts or crafts related things, but I cut paper and fabric with these. And when you use them, mm-hmm. what does it feel like? It feels like I'm able to to cut things with confidence. <laughs> um, as I remember being a kid in in grade school, we had very cheap scissors for arts and crafts, and most of them were for the right hand. And for the ones that for the left hand were not so available and falling apart. So now I always have a very sturdy pair of scissors. And I do use my right hand as needed with regu- with everyday scissors. It's no problem, but of course using the left-handed ones has extra meaning for me. So is, you've been a creative person since you were born, yes? Sure, I yeah. think so. And, and it sounds like your parents are quite creative Yeah. as well. Do you think you get it from them? Yes, of course. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I say that because mm-hmm. I'm looking at something that you've put out here on, on the table that your mother mm-hmm. has made. Tell us about this object. Yeah. It's made out of flannel fabric, and it's a paisley pattern, a dark paisley, which I've always admired. And it's the size of a phone, of an iPhone, basically. She made this many, many years ago as a small case with a little snap on the inside. So this, you can put a device in or anything else that you might want to carry around. We, we call that press studs in Australia. It's called what? A press stud. Press stud? Yeah. The, s- the snap. Oh, the snap. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. Um, and she would have hand-stitched that in there, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is all handmade. And I use this not so much as a case, but as a bit of a surface to be able to place an item on. So it has both a decor value and a functional value of a little home for me to put my phone on or my wallet. So it's a little bit like one of those beautiful sacred cushions that go under singing bowls that mm-hmm. you see in Japan or often tea ceremonies. Yeah. yeah. It's not just a place to put something, but rather like a little bit of a home, <laughs> a colorful home for a device. And when you use it, when you bring it out and you put it on the table, do you take a moment to sort of admire it or appreciate it before you use it? Yes. The pattern really still strikes me. And seeing the form of how this was sewn. It's a little bit thicker at the top as it was kind of reinforced. I've had this for a very, very long time, so I've brought it with me as I've moved around. And how does that make you feel when you use it? Um, Also very, very satisfied to have just a very tiny but also very creative memento of my mom's creativity. What else have you got? I have here a mechanical pencil, a very kind of standard everyday type pencil with just standard lead on the inside. It's black with the tip and the, the top cap piece and the little, what is this called? Uh, like Let's a, call it a clip. A clip. Yeah. Yes, that'll be yeah. it. Yeah. But this my, I probably t- just took this from my dad's collection a very, very long time ago. And I've always kept it with me as one of my default pencils. And it has a, th- for me to use a writing devices, it has a thinness, but it's very strong. It has that nice mechanical click to it. And uh, I just refill it once in a while with new lead pieces. And do you use this very often still? Not so often, but it's always there. Uh, another s- item here I have is a set of screwdrivers. A set of it's eight screwdrivers, both flat and Phillips head, from very small to very large. And an extra item. Oops, I think we can call this a a shuck. So it's almost like a modular screwdriver set. Mm-hmm. I've had these for a very long time and growing up my my dad always had a set of screwdrivers just like this. What have you made with this set? I've definitely used it for a lot of little things. 
and furniture also. And I loan this to people once in a while, or I bring it with me when a friend needs some help with, with uh, fixing things. All right, so we've gone from, well, functional tool scissors, this beautiful aesthetic little mat onto a tool kit, uh, which has some plastic, given that this is called auspicious plastic, but now we're getting, now we're getting to the big stuff. Mm. What's this last thing? Yeah, this is a bowl. It's a glass bowl with a plastic lid. It's a kitchen storage bowl, let's say. It's kind of medium in size, and it's very versatile, very multi-purpose. And it's an example where I think for storage, I'm not a fan of using plastic because I think plastic can wear down over time and lacks, I think glass just looks nicer also. But it's an example where you have to use plastic as the lid because it has to be movable. And this gives you the benefit and the, and the look and the, the sturdiness of the glass as the primary feature of the bowl, but then gives you the capability to cover it and give it a good seal with a plastic lid. This is about the closest we're gonna to get to Tupperware today, I think, <laughs> but it, it's so funny, you just put the lid back on it and, it and burped it, and that's the sound that Tupperware mm -hmm. makes. Just out of interest, did you ever, have you had, ever had Tupperware in your life? Yes, we did. Coming from California, my parents always had a collection of Tupperware. I think my mom used to do Tupperware parties um, with her friends, many, many years ago. I was hearing your podcast and catching up a little bit and I agree that like the Tupperware parties were an important part of like women's culture in during that time frame in the US as a chance to come together and gossip and get away from men. <laughs> I'm Megan Spencer and you're listening to Auspicious Plastic. It's a podcast about objects and the happiness that they can bring us. So with this array of objects that we have here, and having seen your talk at Creative Mornings, and you've clearly given a lot of thought to your relationship to things, mm. to objects. So I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing your philosophy or ideas around objects. I try to be careful with, with what I buy and what I procure. And I like to have things that will last and that I can take care of and fix and will still be reliable over time. Overall, I don't like to collect too many things. I just kind of have what I need and what I use on a frequent basis. And especially with technology, trying to have just kind of the core pieces. And technology now is getting a lot smarter and much more capable. Our phones are lasting longer. Our laptops are lasting longer, which is excellent. And we're needing uh, fewer cables and fewer devices to remain connected, which I think is also a great, a great direction. It's interesting hearing you talk about you cull things and you only want to maintain a small core collection of things that actually you use. So there's a utilitarian or a practical approach mm. to that. But I wonder about the emotion, emotional investment that mm. you put in these, especially with this little flannel mat here that your mum made in particular. Mm -hmm. What kind of emotional investment do you make in them? This is a nice example of something very tiny and kind of small in physical size but large in emotional connection. Um, it was something that was, she selected the fabric, she knew that I liked paisleys, she made it with her own energy, with her sewing machine, and something that has a very simple purpose. I utilize its aesthetic use as well. It has a presence amongst all of my things. In my room, wherever I happen to be, I moved here with it. You know, all these things I moved with. So as I was deciding to move from San Francisco to Berlin, I took a lot of time thinking, what are the core things that I need? What are the additional things that I want to bring and how can I fit it all together? And 
I think that's a nice example of very small but unique items that I spent energy trying to make sure I could bring with me. Is there a nostalgic connection to why you've retained things and why you continue to use them? Yeah. I think that these are things that I, you, I can't find elsewhere. Um, I can certainly buy a small mat or a case for my phone, but it's not going to have the same type of connection and it wouldn't be handmade. <laughs> I remember using these items or similar items growing up and to have versions of them that have my own connection, but knowing where they came from is very important to me. So do you think they kind of hold stories for us as well that, that help form our identity and who we are? Yeah, and I, th I think they do. I think using, keeping them and using them reminds me of not specific instances, but more visions of my parents using these kinds of things, knowing that this um, small mat came from the fabric she's had for a very long time and the thread that she used she's also had since she was a young woman. Mm -hmm. Elements like that, I think, can go back very deep. What I think is interesting is um, when you and I met after your talk where I rushed the stage <laughs> <laughs> and I asked you a question during your talk which was to do with my uh, own relationship with uh, objects and my mum and grief, which mm -hmm. was that when I've used her old Tupperware containers or even her baking bowls after she died, and my hands and hers are very similar. Mm. I had this quite weird, almost out-of-body experience where I was experiencing her using the objects and myself at the same time, and it really gave me a very, not only a deep sense of sadness, but a deep sense of connection with her and where I was from, almost like on a DNA level. Mm -hmm. But you talk about all these things that you've brought here and, and keeping your parents... Um, with you in, mm. in a very close sense while they're still here. Mm. Do, do you think that there can be a like a deeper sort of aspect to objects, especially if it's a, got a familial relationship attached to it? I think so. And I, it's something that maybe comes to me naturally or maybe I'm just ultra aware of it. And I think it comes from kind of seemingly mundane or everyday things, but somehow I happen to have like a hyper-awareness for it. And knowing that the items are here and present brings me a lot of satisfaction. And people ask about them, oh, where is this? This is quite nice. Where is it from? And then I have a story to share. Yeah. Definitely. Now, there's one other object. This is the piece de resistance mm. that you've got here on the table mm -hmm. that we haven't got to yet. Yes. What's this? This is an apron from Williams Sonoma, an American uh, kitchen brand. And the apron itself is quite uh, standard. It's like a taupe color but my mom has accented it, the front pockets and the trim with bits of fabric from her mother's collection, my grandmother's collection. And it's inscribed on the back. It, it's signed Grandma Sylvia and Mom, and it was, uh, this was made in 2005. And, and it's, she's used a fabric pen to write on this. Yes. Uh, she had written it with a Sharpie or a fabric pen, which is another significant tool in her, in her wardrobe of tools, Sharpie pens. It's uh, held up well through the years and takes on all the mess that happens with <laughs> cooking. And it's got beautiful bias binding that's been stitched onto the top of it and a beautiful pocket with mm -hmm. very good quality uh, fabric. Well, how does it make you feel when you cook with this? Uh, it makes me feel beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful and graceful. Um, um, I think, I don't know, do men wear aprons very often in the kitchen? Perhaps in a professional kitchen, but um, for, for me it adds a bit of flair. Do you think it's possible to love an object? Yes, definitely. I would say I love all of these objects and kind of where they have come from and how they've held up. And even if you look more closely, you get to see the handmade aspect of it. What is it about the handmade that's so meaningful? In this example, I can see the stitching. And I think that's 
part of its origin. It's and especially with these the types of things that are sewn or has that special that extra aspect or that extra point of view to it, you see part of the construction. Some people say we're too attached to objects, we're too materialistic, mm. but I keep finding arguments against that idea. Mm-hmm. Are you optimistic about what we can do, where we can go in terms of um, culturally if we stay present with things? I think so. As much as the internet and social media is becoming something we do all the time, I think that it's we're constantly proving to ourselves that we are humans and we need connection, no matter how that might happen. And there's a certain satisfaction that continues to come in spending time with someone and hearing voices and looking at each other's faces as we talk. And we, don't, we can't do that with the internet, but it's, the internet is still very important for the value and connection that it brings, but we still also have to come back and hang out with each other and spend time together. And maybe there is some time in between that we do that, but when we do come together, it's still, we're still utilizing all of our, our humanity and we can still disconnect and reconnect in an actual uh, way. And I guess objects could be facilitators of that connection. I think so, yeah. Just as, just as sitting and having tea or coffee and cookies helps facilitate the conversation and brings a bit of comfort and nourishment, I think that there are plenty of other things in our lives that can bring an equal nourishment to our living. Michael Pirachi, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Auspicious Plastic. Huge thanks to my guests today for their time and willingness to share their ideas and stories about the things that they love. And massive thanks also to gifted music composer and musician Jeremy Conlon, a.k.a. Cooper Black, for creating the auspicious music theme for this podcast. Find the full complement of his music online at cooperblack.bandcamp.com. And if you'd like to share your own story about an auspicious object or plastic with me, get in touch by emailing me at hello at themeganspencer.com or you can visit my website, themeganspencer.com. And thank you to you, auspicious listener. I'm grateful for your time, attention and feedback. My name's Megan Spencer and you've been listening to Auspicious Plastic, a podcast about objects made with love and dedicated to my mother Margaret. Till next time.